We are going to be finishing up our Dust and Glory Imago Day and what it means to be human sermon series this morning. Uh, and then over the next few weeks, we're going to be just meditating on uh, Philippians chapter 2 around Christmas and the incarnation and what that means for us for the next few weeks, uh, including Christmas Eve and Christmas morning, uh, next week, Christmas Eve, Christmas morning, and then New Year's morning as well. And then we'll jump back into Revelation. Uh, as we get back into January. Uh, but we've taken this little break to look at what it means to be human. Uh, and this morning we're looking at uh, the Imago Day and the new heavens and new earth. What does it mean for us to be human uh, in the new heavens and new earth? Uh, every human is a little bit sad all the time because you know you're going to die. But that knowledge is what gives life meaning. That's a quote from a TV show called The Good Place. Uh, One of my favorite shows. It's a great show. Uh, I hear some laughter, so some folks have seen it. Uh, It's a great show. Uh, I want to give a little context for the show. This comes at the very end of the show, that quote. But the the show is about several friends who have, well, they're not friends, uh, but they become friends. But several folks who have died and entered into some kind of afterlife and then working through what that means. That's kind of the point of the show. Um, it's a comedy. It's really good. It's really funny. Um, but I've also found that comedy is actually one of the best ways to understand the worldview of our culture because there are things that you can do in comedy that actually expose things about what you think about the world. And this show is a great example of that. Uh, now, I want to give a little context for this episode. I'm not going to give any spoilers if you haven't seen it, but it's near the end. Uh, and there's a problem that they've found in in the picture of the good place in which they have come. And the problem with the good place is boredom. That people are just bored. They're, they're bored and they have to figure out this problem of what to do to solve this. And, and really the, the problem is that this is the good place, a, a heaven, that is ultimately a selfish, selfish expression of ultimate pleasure. And yet, it does get some things right. There's relationships. There's some really neat things that are going on there. But ultimately, the boredom is related to just exhausting any selfish expression of pleasure possible. And just getting bored with that. The problem is, it's a heaven without Jesus. It's a heaven without Jesus. There's truth in so much of this show, and yet it also misses the big picture. And even this quote about... Humans being sad all the time, a little bit sad because you know you're going to die, but that knowledge is what gives life meaning. There's some truth in that, but there's also missing the big picture. See, death is not the thing that gives meaning. Death is really the enemy of life, the intrusion, the unnatural, the difficult. The thing that we've been looking at, at what it means to be human, is living life with God and others. That's where life finds its meaning. If we're going to know what it means to be human and understand what it means to be made in the image of God, we need to know a little bit about the end, about eternity, about where we're going, and how that shapes what we do today. Or another way to think about this is uh, everything we've learned so far about the Imago Dei and what it means to be human, that we are created that we have fallen into sin and that we live an embodied existence with a purpose, all of those things, what will that be like for all eternity? How does that shape our understanding of eternity? Now, this morning, uh, 
in order to understand this, we, you need to know a few things about eternity. We know some things definitely, for sure. The scriptures are clear on some things definitely. But a lot of the details of that, we don't know. We don't know a lot of the details. And so there is some holy imagination necessary to, to really flush out some of the things that we think about when we think about eternity. So we're going to talk about some of the things we absolutely know and then expand on that in a little bit of holy imagination to think about what does it mean for us to be human in the new heavens and new earth. So this morning what we're going to do is we're going to think about heaven, we're going to hope for heaven, we're going to prepare for heaven, and we're going to bring heaven to earth. Now, when I say heaven, I mean new heavens, new earth, right? So popularly, when we think about eternity, we use the word heaven, right? And as we're learning through the book of Revelation, and also we'll talk about this morning, and we've talked about throughout this series, uh, heaven really is uh, a new heavens and new earth here, that God is going to recreate the earth, redeem the earth, and we are going to live here in an embodied existence on a glorified earth, a glorified new heavens, new earth. Now, Hard to say all that in one thing, so I'm just going to use the shorthand heaven because Presbyterians like some points with some clarity and some repetition. So that's what we're going to do this morning. Uh, But that's what I mean when I say heaven. I mean this eternal new heavens, new earth, final place in which we are landing. So we're going to look at that from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 this morning. So we're going to start here in verses 1, 1 through 10 as we start. For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is, when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. For we will put on heavenly bodies, we will not be spirits without bodies. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh, but it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. God himself has prepared us for this, and as a guarantee, he has given us his Holy Spirit. So we are always confident, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we are not at home with the Lord. For we live by believing and not by seeing. Yes, we are fully confident that we would rather be away from these earthly bodies, for then we would be at home with the Lord. So whether we are here in this body or away from this body, our goal is to please Him. For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. So this first thing that we want to do is just think a little bit about heaven, about what it will be like. First thing that we can notice in this text is that we will have an embodied existence. Paul is very clear here. We get a body in heaven. This body, this body that we currently have, redeemed transformed, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, which is a similar passage to this. But we get new bodies prepared by God. Now, what is new about these bodies? What is new about these bodies? Now, we don't have a lot of details about what is new about these bodies. And you may have thoughts already in your mind about what you would want a new body to be like. But remember, 
right? We need to remember what we talked about last week when it comes to our own insecurities and body image and shame and all the things that we deal with. It's not this like new ideal body that I can imagine that fits the cultural standards of beauty in this place and this time. Because those are ever-changing. It's a body that does not die. It's a body that, that does not waste away. Jesus has declared the body that you live in, the existence that you currently have, as very good. He has declared that as very good. So the newness of this is not like, man, I really hope that my legs can turn into jetpacks. Or I really hope that I can do like whatever amazing thing. Or I really hope all it's that we will have a body that does not groan, does not submit to weariness, that does not die. We will not die. This is the newness of this new body. And, and we know this, right? Because 1 Corinthians 15, Paul talks about the body that we will have will be like Jesus, right? Jesus is the first fruits of this. And though there was a, a time right when Jesus resurrected where the disciples didn't recognize him, it's not clear from the text that that's because Jesus was like somehow looked totally different, right? Because as soon as he breaks the bread, they recognize who he is. There's some sort of mysterious thing happening there. There's not a lot of clarity in the text. But there's no indication that Jesus looks fundamentally different. And Isaiah 53, in prophesying about Jesus, says, He had no form that we would look upon him. Meaning, Jesus was an average looking dude. He wasn't this incredible uh, man according to the standards of beauty of his day. He was average looking. There was nothing about him that was so special that we could just tell, oh, that's God in the flesh. Look at him. Clearly that's God in the flesh. And actually, if you see throughout Scripture, anytime there's a person that is like, well, that's the guy. That's the one. It usually does not end well, right? Right? The difference between Saul and David, right, is that Saul, the only thing that they can say good about Saul is that he was tall. Well, he was a tall guy. <laughs> yep. Short guys like me take a lot of comfort in those verses. It's my life verse right there. It's my life verse. Saul, he was just tall, you know? That, that, that's all he had going for him. He was tall. You see, the Lord looks upon the heart, not upon the outward beauty that the, the culture and the world looks to. And so, we have this indication is that we will be in these bodies, redeemed by the Lord, to never die. No groaning or weariness. And the glory of this is related to the, uh, the taking away of the curse. Remember when we talked about the fall, when we talked about the fact that we are created by God and then we are fallen but we are still loved, there are very real consequences to the fall and we unpacked those curses that God laid out. But two things we see in Revelation related to this starting in Revelation 21 and then in Revelation 22, says this, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among His people. He will live with them and they will be His people. God Himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. 
And then he said to me, write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And then in 22, it says this, No longer will there be a curse upon anything, for the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there, and His servants will worship Him. And they will see His face and His name will be written on their foreheads, and there will be no night there, no need for lamps or sun, for the Lord God will shine on them, and they will reign forever and ever. There is no curse. No longer will there be a curse upon anything. Well, what does that mean, there will no longer be a curse upon anything? Well, let's think about a couple of things. We talked about uh, last week, right? We talked about uh, our relationship with ourselves and then our relationship with our neighbors. And so I want to look at what does it mean for us not to have the curse affect us in relationship to ourselves, to relationships with others, and then also to the relationship we have with the earth. No more curse means no more shame. No more will we have that nagging sense that we're not enough. That we can't measure up. That we're not worthy of love. There will be no more chronic pain. Many of you experience chronic pain. That you don't really understand, that you can't really pinpoint, that you don't really know what it is, or you do know what it is, and there's no way to fix it. There will no longer be a curse upon our bodies. There will be no more pain. No more mental health crisis. No more depression. No more anxiety. No more experience of uh, what's popularly termed imposter syndrome, where you're just like afraid if someone found out who you really were, it would expose everything and your life would be undone. No more of that. You will be who you are and accepted before God and others. No more fear of others. No more self-loathing. No more looking at yourself in the mirror and being disappointed by what you see. No more eating disorders. No more body shaming. No more hiding. No more hiding who you are. No more shame or pain. No more tears. And ultimately, no more death. Our relationships with one another. The curse is gone, meaning there will be perfect fellowship with one another. Within the church, within the body of believers, right? God's people. He says that the Lord will be with them. He will be their God and they will be His people. We will not be isolated alone, just me and Jesus for all eternity. We will be together as the people of God, the redeemed, those bought with the blood of Jesus. And we will have perfect fellowship with one another. There will be no more harming one another, either unintentionally or purposely. There will be no more pressure to show up to a place and be enough for other people. That feeling that when you're in a crowd, you're thinking, what is everyone else thinking about me? That will no longer be presence. There will be no more disappointment about how other people show up in your life. There will be no more jealousy. 
No more feelings that you can't describe that you are so ashamed of because it's your best friend and you love them and yet you are so jealous of them and angry with them. But you can't tell anyone that. No more of that. No more racism. No more experience of bigotry and hatred and racism. No more discrimination. No more being looked upon as lesser. No more sexism. No more harsh divisions between male and female that cause pain. No more seeing others as lesser. No more violence. No more violence against one another. No more will your value as one made in the image of God be taken away or diminished. No more. Your value as one made in the image of God will be lifted high and not diminished. Not seen as lesser. What about our relationship with the earth? Well, there will be no more pain in work. Remember, the curse said that there would be thorns and thistles that you would gain your uh, work from. That, that it would, the earth would fight against you in your work. You would sweat. There would be this pain in toiling against the, or for the very command that God had given you to subdue the earth, to cultivate the earth. Now, I don't think there's indication, and we'll talk about this a lot more when we get there in Revelation, that there's like, that heaven's this uh, endless vacation, right? Like, work is good, right? It's part of the thing that the good place missed. <laughs> there, there's some really good value, although there's some spots in there where they get it right. Um, but there's this good value in work, right? In purpose. We looked at that. We had a whole sermon looking at purpose and the purpose by which God has created us to bring him glory by cultivating the earth. Cultivation is a good thing. It's part of what it means to be human. But there will be no more curse in it. Imagine your very best day doing what you think God has made you to do. Right? Fitting all of your interests, your passions, your desires, all the things that you are are gifted at, all of those things. Imagine that day, right? Some of you have had a day like that, but then there's one or two things that happen there. You're like, yeah, well, that sucked. Right? No more of that. No more of that. No more the earth working against us, able to cultivate the earth without curse. Right? I've said this before, but my job will be obsolete at that point because, you know, like Jesus is right there. So, uh, so go talk to him, right? Which means I'm going back to my previous training. I was trained as an architect. No more curse? Whew. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. The earth no longer working against you. No more natural disasters, right? I, I, I've always said this, that I think one of the... Uh, challenges and benefits of living in the Midwest or living in a place like Muncie. It's like you take your drawbacks with your benefits. It's very, very unlikely that I'm going to be killed by a weather event in Muncie, but it's gray all the time. (laughs) The places that are super gorgeous, eh, there's a chance I might get killed by a weather event, right? You got to balance it out here. No more of that. No more natural disasters. 
No more threats of the earth against us. No more cancer. No more bleak days. No more accidents. No more allergies. Or as Serena put it in staff meeting, all kitties, no sneezes. All kitties, no sneezes. Right? Right? And we went on for a couple more, but I can't remember what they were. I remember the third one. It was all mozzarella sticks, no heartburn. Which is pretty great. Shout out to Hunter for that one. Right? No more of the earth fighting against us. Now, it's very clear, right, that we will still be human. And remember, we talked about this when we talked about what it meant to be embodied. That there were these three categories that we need to think about, which is our fallenness, our sin, our brokenness, the reality of the curse, and then our finitude. The fact that we are finite humans, the fact that we have bodies that are limited by space and time, all of those things. Now, the new heavens, new earth, we are no longer limited by time, but there is no indication that we're, no, we're not limited by space anymore, that we can just like zap around wherever we want, right? We are still embodied creatures. And one of the ways in which we contribute to this idea that heaven will be boring is that we kind of assume that when we go to heaven, that when we die, when, when Jesus comes back, new heavens, new earth, that we have perfect knowledge, that we just know everything in the universe. No, you are still not God. You will not be God. We will still grow and learn and develop. We will still grow in skill and knowledge. All of those things are still going to be a part of it. You're not going to be uh, perfection in the new heavens and new earth has nothing to do with the amount of knowledge you have. It's about moral perfection, right? Because even Jesus is perfect in his earthly life, and yet the scriptures are clear that he grew in wisdom and knowledge, right? And so if Jesus is our model for those things, it's very clear that we're going to continue to grow in wisdom and knowledge endlessly. Yeah, some of us, John, some of us. We won't say who won't. Some of us will grow faster than others in wisdom and knowledge, right? (laughs) But we're going to continue to grow. We're going to continue to experience things. We're continuing to be human just without the curse. Without the curse. Think of the best things of human existence and then minus the curse. Now, all of that is great, but not all that different from the problem of boredom in the good place depiction of heaven because we haven't yet got to the best part. Jesus will be present with us. He will dwell with us. God will dwell with us. He will make his home with us. And Colossians 2, verse 3 says this. Did you click off, Chris? All right. Nope. That's not where I'm at. Um, Maybe it is. Okay. Huh. All right. There it is. Colossians 2.3. In him lie all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Jesus lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. 
There is no possibility of boredom in the new heavens and new earth because the very existence of all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, all of the greatest things of the universe are hidden in Jesus and he is present there for you to discover more and more. Endlessly. There is never an end to discovering more things about Jesus. For all eternity, we will continue to grow in our knowledge of who Jesus is, of his character, of his wisdom, of the wisdom of the universe, the exploration of God in his glory for all eternity with him present with us. The popular idea that in heaven we just kind of get whatever we want because we earned it and we're there and we get whatever we want to do. I don't really see that in scripture, right? It's not this like endless like vending machine of pleasure, but it's a place in which God dwells with his people and he is the foundation of all joy and pleasure. He is the root of it all. We will still be human in heaven and not God. But the good news of heaven is not that you become God, but that God himself is there. And if our process of transformation is to be more and more like Jesus in his holiness, not in uh, uh, obtaining superpowers, but in his holiness, if our transformation in this life is by beholding Jesus, by looking upon Jesus in the word, then in the life to come, we will continue to behold his glory because he will be right there and be transformed more and more like him in his holiness, in his love, and in his character. So there will be no chance of boredom. There will also be no chance of decline or decay. Death will be no more. And there will be no chance of losing it. Right? Imagine the garden experience that we've looked at a couple of times, right? This is a glorious experience. The Lord is with them in the garden. They can eat whatever tree from whatever tree they want. But then there's this possibility of falling by eating from this one tree, by disobeying the Lord. That possibility is not there in the new heavens and new earth. There is never a chance that you could lose it. You are eternally secure. The threat of losing life is not what gives life its meaning, but the hope of living life with God and others gives life its meaning. That's what it means for us to think of heaven. But we need to do more than just think of heaven. We need to hope for heaven. In light of all of those things, in light of thinking about all of those things, we now can hope for heaven. We can think about heaven, we can pray for heaven, and we can hope that Jesus will one day write every wrong. He will one day answer every injustice, that he will one day wipe every tear from our eyes. Now we have that promise, but how do we know it? How do we know that? Well, Paul tells us a little bit in 2 Corinthians, as we saw, while we live in these earthly bodies, we groan inside, but it's not that that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. God himself has prepared us for this, and as a guarantee, he has given us his Holy Spirit 
So we are always confident, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we are not at home with the Lord. For we live by believing and not by seeing. Yes, we are fully confident, and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies, for then we will be at home with the Lord. Right? What Paul is saying is, we have this this tension in this life right now, right? We long to be with Jesus. We long to be at home with the Lord. But we also don't long to die, right? He's very clear on that. It's like, no, we don't want to get rid of these bodies and go to a bodiless existence. What we want is Jesus to come back and give us new bodies. We want both. We want to be at home with the Lord and in our body, right? That's the best experience. And how do we know that we will get there? Well, it says we live by faith, right? We live by believing, not by seeing. But it's not a blind faith. He says the guarantee that we have is that God has given us His Holy Spirit. We live by trust that He has deposited in us the Holy Spirit so that we know. How do we know that God is going to, that we are going to be with God for all eternity? Because God is with us now. Because God is with us now by His Holy Spirit. Now that's manifested to us in so many different ways, but one of the ways in which that's manifested to us is the fruit of the Spirit in the community of faith, right? Not just in our own private time alone with the Lord where we think, okay, I've got the Holy Spirit, it's me and Jesus, this thing. No, we see that more and more when we are together and the Holy Spirit is at work in us together so that we witness God's work in each other's lives. When you are with other people who you've known and who know you and you see their growth in grace, you see them overcome things in their lives that they weren't able to overcome before God was working in them, and you see them change and grow and you see them lay down their lives for you and love you, you see evidence of the Holy Spirit at work. And Paul says for us, that's a guarantee that God one day will raise you from the dead give you new bodies, and you will live for all eternity with Him. This this trust, this confidence is found in hope. Again, not a blind hope. It's a hope rooted in the sure realities that as surely as you have a body yourself, Jesus came in the flesh. As surely as you have a body yourself, He came in the flesh, and He came in the flesh, died in the flesh, rose in the flesh, and then ascended in the flesh, and gave the Holy Spirit to indwell your flesh. So that as sure as it is that you currently live in a body is as sure as it is that Jesus will one day come back, glorify and renew you, and give you new flesh fit for heaven. That's the surety of our hope. It's rooted in this miracle that we're celebrating through the Advent season that Jesus came in a body. He really, really came. If He really, really came and then really, really deposited the Holy Spirit in you, then you can know that one day He will return again and raise you to new life. This is the goodness of heaven that we can hope for. So we've thought about heaven, we are hoping for heaven, but we need to prepare for heaven. Paul goes on in, first, or in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 to say this, Because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. 
God knows we are sincere, and I hope you know this too. Are we commending ourselves to you again? No, we are giving you a reason to be proud of us so you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart. If it seems, cra- that seems we are crazy, it is to bring glory to God. And if we are in our right minds, it is for your benefit. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ, who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, how differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. I think there was one more verse, but maybe not. All right, we're going to go back. (laughs) When we plead, come back to God. I'm going to read the last verse. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. This is the good news of the gospel. The way in which we are prepared for heaven is to know the gospel. What Paul says is that this way to heaven, this embodied eternal experience comes because Jesus came and died for us. Because Jesus came and died paying the penalty for your sin and mine. Right? Because this glorious existence is so good. And yet we have already learned right throughout this series that we are fallen. That we fall short. That we fall short of God's commands that God has commanded things for us not to do and we do them anyway in thought word and deed he's commanded things for us to do and we ignore those in thought word and deed and that is what the Bible calls sin and not only is God glorious in his love and in his grace and in his glory as we've been talking he's also glorious in his holiness He cannot stand for injustice to be done, right? If he is going to right all wrongs, which is something that we hope for, if he is going to turn all injustice into justice, if he is going to bend everything towards justice, which we all long for, unless the microscope is turned on us, and then we don't want it anymore. We all want a God of justice until he looks at our lives and then we're like, no, no, please no. Except this God of justice is also a God of love. And so he has sent his son to stand in your place and in mine. To bear the punishment that our sins deserve so that we can have eternal life. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And so, as Paul said, I now appeal to you, if you are here and you are not trusting in Jesus and Him alone for salvation, be reconciled to God. 
He longs to love you. He longs to be near you. His love motivated Him to come away from His glory and to come and to live a life among us to pay the penalty for sin so that He could make you glorious and raise you to glory. All of you are born made in God's image and fallen, accountable for your sin. And God has now made a way of forgiveness. So come back to Him, your Creator, Lord, and Redeemer. The one who doesn't just say, hey, you over there, get your act together. Right? He's a God of justice and holiness, but He doesn't just stand over here and say, hey, when you get your act together, I'll show up. He comes and redeems when we don't have our act together. He comes and bears our punishment so that we can be reconciled to God. And we need to prepare for that because the Scriptures do speak of this glorious existence that we popularly call heaven, the new heavens and new earth. But it also speaks of another existence, hell. A place in which we pay for the punishment of our sins, ourselves. A place of eternal torment. A place just as terrifying as the glory of the new heavens and new earth is. We will live an embodied existence for all eternity. And we will either enjoy the reality that Jesus has paid for our sin or we will pay for our sin. And so we need to be prepared for heaven. Not by doing good works. Not by getting better. But by fleeing to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because He is the only way. Now, finally, we are to bring heaven to earth. If you notice, one of the tensions of this passage that we've been talking about is, Paul says, we're going to get these new bodies. This is going to be glorious. And then he says, well, all those who have died in Christ have a new life already. So you're like, wait, Paul, which is it? Do we have the new life now or are we getting the new life to come? Yes. Both. Now you've hit the very tension of the New Testament. The whole tension of the New Testament is this already and not yet. You already, if you are trusting in Jesus, you have already started your new life of eternity. It's broken into the present. You already have it. You have the freedom to say no to sin, which you never had before coming to Jesus. That's brand new. You have this new life that you can live in hope, bringing glory to God and loving your neighbor. That's brand new. Do you experience it fully yet? No. Because you still have this body. You still live in this fallen world. And that's the tension of the New Testament. But what we are to do now that we are redeemed by Jesus is to be agents of that new heavens and new earth in this place now. In this place now. Bringing the heaven to earth. Right? Matthew 6, when Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray, what does he say? May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, when we pray that, sometimes we pray that thinking, Jesus, this situation is really terrible. I need you to show up and fix it. And he might be saying, yes, I agree. And the way I'm showing up to fix it is you. When we pray that, we are to be the answer to that prayer as well as the church. 
And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. He is making everything new. He's already at work in redeeming the world and making everything new. Throughout the whole book of Revelation, as we're going to see, as we're going to see when we continue throughout the whole book of Revelation, when we get back to it, the point is not to simply hope for heaven and wait for this place to be burned up because I got my ticket out. When I say hope for heaven, it's not a hope for heaven because I got my ticket, so I'm going to hide in my little bunker and wait till this place burns up and then we'll be good. That's not the point of Revelation. The point of Revelation is I got my ticket. Let's go tell everyone the way to get there and let's make more and more of that reality present right now. Not only are we to come and invite people to be reconciled to God, we are to show them what the new heavens and new earth would be like. This community, this place right here, these people, us, the church, we are to show Muncie, do you know what the new heavens and new earth is going to be like? Come hang out with us and we'll show you. That's what we're to do in the way that we love one another in the way that we care for one another, in the way that we sacrifice and suffer for our city, in all of those things, we are to showcase to the world there is a better world coming and you can be a part of it. It's not just in telling people about Jesus, it's also in showing them who he is and what he's like by our community together, serving our city and loving one another, making us agents of change here. We are to be this foretaste of heaven. So the question is, for us to consider, if you were to say, man, I want to experience a foretaste of heaven, would you say, man, I want to hang out with church folk? No. Is that what we would want? Because no. that's what our existence is going to be for all eternity, right? Together with Jesus? So let's pray that the Lord would renew us to make this place more and more a foretaste of heaven. That make us more and more a little movie preview to what it's going to be like. Can we do that? Can we pray that the Lord would make his will be done here on earth as it is in heaven in and through us? As we think about heaven, as we hope for heaven, as we prepare for heaven, and as we bring the kingdom, heaven, to earth. As we are agents of change in this place. So let us bring the peace of heaven, the glory of heaven, the joy of heaven, and show people Jesus even in the face of suffering. While we love our neighbor, love our enemy, alleviate suffering, and wait on our king. Let's do that for the sake of God's glory and honor. Not because we're earning a place, but because Jesus has already done it all for us. He's already reconciled, right? Again, here's the tension of that. We are to bring heaven to earth, and yet Jesus said, I am making everything new. Not doing this in our own strength. This idea that we could actually showcase to the world some sort of foretaste of heaven just with us in our own strength, that's not possible. But the Holy Spirit dwells within us. Jesus can make us new and make all things new. So let's pray that his kingdom would come and let's be agents of change in this world. Let's pray together.
Father, we come before You now and we ask that Your will would be done here on earth as it is in heaven. God, that Your kingdom would come and it would come in power soon. Jesus, that You would be honored in all of these things. Jesus, that You would do the work that You need to do in us. Jesus, that You would gain all glory and honor and praise. Lord, that even now in these moments, would You help us to meditate on the new heavens and new earth and all that You will do so that we would be people transformed by that reality and live our lives in such a way that bring You all the glory and honor. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.